I'm Stuart Brand. This seminar about long-term thinking is brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. If you would like to see high-quality videos of the talks in the series, including this one, they are available online for Long Now members at longnow.org. Welcome back. Oh, hello, Paul. Hi, Catherine. I have a question for you. Okay. You went on a sabbatical. I went on a sabbatical. I did. Is it really the first long sabbatical of your life? No, not the first in my life, but the first in 15 well, years. Well, academic one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, and, and so what happened during that time? Where, how, what happened? Back? Yeah. Well, how did you come back? So what happened? What um, changed for you? What changed? So this is, um, so, so I took uh, three months off. Uh, and I, uh, first I went to Bali, and I saw those amazing rice terraces that um, there was a long now lecture about. Um, but the really big thing that changed for me in, was in the middle going to a, uh, on a silent retreat in Big Sur down at the uh, New Kamaldoli, which is a, which is a monastery about 20 minutes south of Esalen. Um, and... I, for me, did the thing that was the scariest, which was to be by myself and to be quiet. <laughs> you know, some people would climb rocks and, you know, do other things uh, to test themselves, in a, and, and what I needed to do was that. And I faced um, some of the things inside me that have really been holding me back. And that's probably too private to talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just edge slightly away from that. But in <laughs> terms, two questions, though. I mean, why is it scary? Why is it scary? And the reason I'm asking that question is I think underneath the surface, a lot of the world is scared right now. Yeah. You know, there's so much fear. Um, and fear is informing activity and demagoguery and rhetoric. And you are so right. You're so right. Um, and that's a good, it is a good segue from what we were just talking about. Um, uh, well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know what, I just, my brain just flashed to a dinner conversation I had last night. And I think there's a connection and maybe you'll, you know, we'll, we'll help you you know, because some of what was I was, you know, really thinking about was uh, really was more mortality, right? I mean, it's what are you, you know, what am I most scared of wasting my life at some level, um, and um, and the preciousness of life, and and you know, getting to a different experience of it. And so I was having dinner conversation last night about this incredible thing with these miners this week. And how the whole world was riveted by this, and why why was it, and what happened in that moment? Um, and our friend we were having dinner with said, "Well, it was like watching all those people be born. They were just came out of the dark, and they were born. And the technology worked, and the community was there, and there was no downside. You know, it was just joy, um, and there was something so primal about it." and um, I wonder if there's something primal in this moment that has that's beyond just the the fear of 
that so many people have and the great pain that so many people have economically that we're that that people sense that something else is uh, is, is going on. I don't know. You've been thinking about this for a long time. I mean, don't we all? I mean, and Peter is here. Peter is saying how he's so optimistic, but um, the world isn't right now. No. And the and you've been involved with futurism, and you know, and before sabbatical, after sabbatical, before silence, after silence. You know, in other words, and your background in journalism, and really in communicating, and really expressively, and so well, if I may say so. You know, how to move, how to transform, how to change, how to look. Right. Right. forward to organizations more recently, philanthropy. Yeah. Now that you've come through this, who, what do you want to express? I mean, who do you want to be after that experience? Because we spoke about this before. Obviously, I know about it, so that's yeah. why I bring it up. Um, so, uh, boy, there's so much to say. Um, I think the thing that would be good to talk about is community. Um, so who do I want to be? I want to be able to be um, a present member of a community working on transformation, right? So Because I think that, I mean, you've said before that we're at this moment in history where we're moving from a place that's been about power and privilege to where, you know, your incredible book, Blessed Unrest. Um, the and, and you've also said, which I also feel we have what we need. We have the resources, we have the talent, we have the money, we have the energy, and yet we're so stuck um, to get through to the next level of the things we have to deal with. We, we're, we're trapped in these systems that are you know, not, not going to work in the world that's coming about. And when I think about the things I've learned uh, uh, um, in, in these years about in any great business that I've been part of, or any nonprofit, or you know something like Long Now, every every group of people that ever gets something done, there's a wonderful larger community that surrounds mm. the thing itself. Whether it's a, a an idea or an organization or you know a movement, a movement, there's this larger community, and somehow we've got to get to the place that we understand what is the community that we're part of. I mean, so one of the things I spent uh, time, you know, just coming to grips with, uh, after all this outside-in thinking, you know, of, of scenarios and stuff, I had, an, I, I had a fully inside-out experience um, of just saying to myself, you know, just an ordinary human being, just like everybody else. I'm not better, I'm not worse, and... Isn't that wonderful? And what does that mean uh, is my responsibility to be an, an ordinary human being now? I don't know if that makes any sense. But was that a source of happiness for you when you... It was a gr- it, yes, it was a great relief, actually. <laughs> um, and, but I, there's something about uh, figuring, you know, we just heard this wonderful, uh, you know, set of things about the community of the Wikimedia. This, amazing miracle of that has come about um i worry about the limits of bottom-up change but i i i just um how are we going to get unstuck paul i mean what gives you hope about that oh um hope um (laughs) i I, you know it's it's interesting because i do public speaking and i know that 
the um, expected payoff, you know, from my people hire me, you know, my audience is supposed is hope. Yeah. Um, they do not want to hear you stand up for forty minutes and then leave just completely depressed, you know. And uh, I, I can do that pretty well, actually. And uh, <laughs> in fact, when I when I first wrote Ecology of Commerce, um, it was turned back by my editor and saying this is too dark. And I sent it to a reader who was in uh, Alabama, actually, and Southern Girl. And she was just reading the manuscript. And she said, you know, she called back and said, Paul, <laughs> I love your book, but I have to read the first four chapters in the sunshine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I realized that there is a figure ground contextual thing. It was like you, you, there, there is a lot of challenging stuff going on right now. I mean, we can go over it. We don't need to. Probably it's been gone over it earlier today. But the thing is, what do you, how do you contextualize it? What, what, what holds it? You know, what is the vessel? in which you hold the rapid deterioration of climate, of biodiversity, of the oceans, of, of uh, equity, of income polarization, of uh, uh, the, the, the many types of violence that we don't hear about, which is the violence to the land and uh, um, violence to the body through body burden and so forth. It goes on and on and on. And we, when we just dwell on the different aspects of how, in a sense, we're coming apart, uh, we don't really have a way to hold it except perhaps community, perhaps uh, uh, religion in its truest form, not in its uh, um, beliefs cult form, but in the sense of practice, you know, or those things that hold it. But the thing about hope to me is that I wonder if really hope is actually helpful uh, because hope is really kind of a mask for fear and fear is a mask for hope. And some of they can't, they're kind of, they kind of go together. And I wonder if even hope is, because everybody's always offering some new version, new brand of hope, you know. Not everybody, but I mean that's what, you know, the the attempt is. And I'm wondering if that isn't sort of part of that, a different form of attachment, kind of a delusion, rather than actually just seeing things the way they are and saying, how interesting. Yeah, it's really it is really interesting where we are right now. Uh, I mean, not that we would all agree. That's that's okay. In fact, right. we shouldn't. But just that if we look at the at the facts, at the data, at the at the dynamics themselves, uh, I'll talk about the you know Chinese you know idiogram may live in interesting times. I mean, we we do, but it is more than interesting. It's so so compelling, and for me now, it's more about well looking at the array of things that are out there will keep working on things that are, 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 are worthy of failure instead of trying to endeavor to do things that are trivial. So it. So That's I think right. it's a very... That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it is... A, um, the, you know, it's very interesting, all the happiness research. I mean, the, the, there is something so cultural in this country, the... The pursuit of happiness, the the you know it's it, the, the the see on the bright side, you know. And there's something, so many of the great entrepreneurs I know are great entrepreneurs because they do they refuse to see anything except the worst thing can happen in a day. And a great entrepreneur stands up and say, "Well, it's great. So we're going to do it." Tomorrow. You know, it's just that's how they keep themselves going. And yet, I think if we don't look with clear eyes at where we are, and one of the things that's wrong with our politics is that nobody can stand up and say that. They get creamed when, when a grown-up tries to stand up and say here's what's actually going on. So um, what happened to journalism where truth-tellers get creamed? 
What's that? Where truth tellers get creamed. What happened? Oh, what? When did it happen? Get me I mean, started on journalism. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh gosh. Well, you know, it's. I mean, journalism has. It isn't the journalism. It's the amplification of mm. the messages, right? So, the the the. Um, you know, the transformation that has happened in the last 20 years from the only way you could ever get a message out was through journalism to 24, you know, to the, to the now all, the, the, the media has become the culture, right? So, and journalism is a shrinking part of the overall media culture. So we have, what we actually have now is a kind of pornographic information culture, right? And, and, and so all the, the any, any, bad message gets so amplified or any, it's the um, other side of the goodness of transparency. We have transparency absolutely run wild and crazy. Um, and so I think we're seeing a bunch of unintended consequences of the technology as much as having to do anything with, with you know, Stuart, I think it was in um, Media Lab uh, wrote, uh, or one of the things he said in the 80s, when the new technology rolls in, you're either part of the steamroller or part of the road. And that really made a big impression on me when I was trying to think about the future of journalism back in the early 90s. And, but I think that, that, yeah, but the steamroller has taken a lot of other things with it as well, and some of the civility in the culture is, uh, is part of it. A story I can't get out of my head right now in the last few months is a, I just saw an old friend of mine who is a, was the only journalist from the New York Times who did great stuff on Watergate. You know, so it was a Washington Post story, and he was a civil rights reporter, and he worked at the, at Watergate, and he worked on Watergate, and he so he's a great investigative reporter and of that that generation of, of of journalists, and he's now retired, and he lives in Southwest Virginia, and he's on the board of a university, um, of a public university, and I sat at lunch and listened to him talk about how nothing could get done because you can't actually have a conversation in public, right? And, and you can't have a conversation in private either, right? And so the, the, the sort of sense of there's no secrets has, has also got its limits. Anyway, that's a, starting to be a rant, and I'll stop. What else is on your mind, Paul? <laughs> but, but you are a journalist. I mean, that is your training, your background, your... I mean, and a great journalist. So, what are you going to do? Where do you? Where do you well, go I left journalism for a variety of reasons. I was pretty sure that journalism, the fate of journalism, was going to be controlled by forces outside journalism and outside the journalism profession. So, when when I really started to understand the inter- internet in ninety two, ninety three, so I thought, well, if I care about journalism, I'm going to start working on the understanding those things and what the business model is going to be to support great journalism in the future because the business model that used to support it is going to be killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I realized that what we actually need in, in it most is not so much to point out what's wrong. We need to light a flame under the things that can make it better. And that journalism is not the right vehicle for that. What is the right vehicle? Um, I think it's people who, you know, it's the kinds of things that you've done. It's starting things. It's, it's ideas. It's new businesses. It's new technologies. It's the social entrepreneurs. It's the 
social movements. It's the it's mm-hmm. it's all the people who are who are who are putting their. I want it to be shoulder to shoulder with the people who are actually solving the problems, rather than pointing my finger at what was wrong. Because mm-hmm. I, pointing our finger at what's wrong is not gonna. It's absolutely necessary, but it's not gonna fix it. Mm-hmm. So just as is, I also just. You know, this gets you sound of you know. As a human being, I didn't like being in a position day in a doubt, of that constantly was about mistrust rather than trust. I, I just didn't want to live that way. But you know, it's 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 a it's a terrible problem. I, I don't I don't know what's gonna because the best parts of the journalism are the things that are being starved, right? The scarcity. You have, the most important question to ask is always, what is scarce? And the real scary thing is we're about we're drowning in this stuff that's trash, and the scarcity. We have fewer reporters reporting, uh, you know, outside the United States. What's the business model to support the bureau in Baghdad? You know, you know the the things that are actually being destroyed the fastest are the things that we need most as a democracy. In your work with philanthropy, I mean, you said that you would like to be shoulder to shoulder with people who are actually providing the solutions, and a lot of those solutions are really funded by the philanthropic community. And most of those movements in civil society do not have the leverage of Wikipedia, where so little can do so much. I mean, yeah, it's just an right. extraordinary thing. In fact, right. it's so extraordinary that it's really one of still. And so, but the philanthropic community, it seems to me, is like the last century, it's still in the last century, it's not in this century at all. Technologically, it's still sort of moving around and feeling its way. And it's so much about implementation, and implementation is really about not taking a risk. And rapid change is about innovation and failure, for good reason, because only failure can actually... And so you have a real divide between what's on the ground, I think, in terms of trying to create innovative social models and where the flow of funds are coming from. That's right. Um... I'm working on it. <laughs> so are a lot of people. Um, but I think the one thing I would say to be careful about is there is no such thing as philanthropy, right? We have still a minute. Um, there's no such thing as philanthropy. There's a tremendous diversity. And there is actually great hope in the Wikipedia model, I think, for funding. 75% of the money given away in this country is from individuals. Mm. Um, and there, I think, are going to be models in the future, much like Obama's campaign, where small amounts of money from a lot of people can fund things, if they can get visible, which goes back you know, in the circle. Right. Um, I also think there are going to be more and more new philanthropists who um, are going to do things with the risk-taking way. But it is stuck. I'm working on it. I think my time is up. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. This seminar about long-term thinking was brought to you by the Long Now Foundation. Thanks to Fora TV, you can see high-quality videos of the talks online by joining Long Now as a member at longnow.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Stuart Brand.